Welcome. Got to end this passing of the peace at some point. Otherwise, I feel like we just go on and on and on. No, no passing. <laughs> um, welcome. Uh, we are glad that you are here this morning. My name is JJ. I'm one of the pastors here, if this is one of your first times here. Um, and we are really glad that you're here with us this morning. This morning when you came in, you should have received a bulletin, uh, which I don't have with me, but on there, there is a connect card that you can fill out if this is your first time or one of your first times here. You can fill that out and turn that in. We have a black box out on our hospitality table uh, that we will go through. And if you have interest in learning more about Veritas, joining a city group, um, becoming a member, being baptized, any of those things... Um, please fill that out and turn that in. Uh, we'd love to connect with you. Uh, or if there's something that you have need of prayer of, um, there's a section for prayer requests on the back side. Please fill that out. We pray for those throughout the week, and uh, we would count it an honor and a blessing to be able to pray for your request this week. If you would, we're going to continue on in our series in Jonah the mission and the mercy of God. And this week we are going to be in chapter 1, verses 4 through 17. And if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles at the end of each bench. Then Jonah chapter 1 is on page 451. You can take that Bible home with you if you do not have one. That's our gift to you. Um, but please turn there and we will read God's word if you would stand with me. Jonah 1, verses 4 through 17. Listen with reverence. This is God's word. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us catch lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, 
they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, this morning, I wanted to start by addressing the fact that we are more like Jonah than we give ourselves credit for. What do I mean by that? I mean that after reading the entire book of Jonah for a solid week and focusing on this passage in particular for just as long, I started to see some unpleasant similarities boiling to the surface. And the main similarity that kept popping out to me was my lack of fear for the Lord, an inadequate reverence toward the maker of the universe, an absence of humble worship to the one who deserves all our worship. This is probably jolting to some of us because even if we've been a Christian for any amount of time, we would make the claim that we love God, that we are thankful for his grace, and that we have given our lives over to him. But how many of us would say that we fear the Lord? Or even more than that, that we rightly fear the Lord? Well, to truly answer that, I probably need to define what this type of fear is. What this type of fear is not is like the fear of clowns, like some of you had when you were younger, or might still have if you have seen any of the film adaptations of the book It. It is not the type of fear that was displayed on Fear Factor, the early 2000s TV show, where contestants were placed in tubs with snakes and rats, or put in glass cases and covered with spiders, or eating really disgusting, gross things. The fear that I'm talking about doesn't cause us to squirm, it doesn't give us the willies, and it doesn't cause us to say ick. The fear that I'm talking about can only be brought about by something that is majestic, something that is truly dreadful, something that fills you with awe and wonder, something like going to the ocean where there is this sense of wonder and vastness, Yet at the same time, you have to be respectful of it when you start to wade out into it because of the raw power and sheer size. The type of fear that I'm talking about is the same fear that you get if you've ever read C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia when the lion Aslan steps onto any page. That feeling of power, that feeling of goodness, but with the knowledge that he is not a tame lion. My friends, my fear is that we are more like Jonah than we give ourselves credit for because like Jonah, we fear the Lord with our lips, but our lives are far from reflecting those words. My hope is that as we walk through God's word this morning, that we will take warning in Jonah's hollow, hollow words, find strength in the changed fear of the sailors, and most importantly, be drawn to reverent worship of a God who controls all things and is full of mercy. We are going to walk through this morning's message using this 
big idea as our guide. Since God, the God of Jonah is the one true merciful God, we are to respond to him with reverent worship. Since the God of Jonah is the one true God, the merciful God, we are to respond to him with reverent worship. And we're going to walk down that road of the, this big idea by using these three points. The changing fear of the sailors, the hollow fear of Jonah, and the sovereign mercy of God. The changing fear of the sailors, the hollow fear of Jonah, and the sovereign mercy of God. So let's begin. The changing fear of the sailors. Our story picks up from last week with Jonah, who's been given this divine word from the Lord to go and preach a message to the great city of Nineveh, and that their evil has come up before the Lord, and that disaster was going to come to them unless they turned from their wicked ways. Instead of obeying God, Jonah turns and senselessly attempts to run from him. He boards a boat manned by pagan sailors to sail out over the Mediterranean Sea to a land called Tarshish which is in completely the opposite direction from Nineveh. Jonah is on the boat. The boat has pushed away from shore, and he has set out on this expedition. Knowing exactly where Jonah is at and what he is up to, God re-enters the story by throwing down this great wind on the sea, causing a mighty storm to break out all around the boat causing it to be tossed to and fro with the wooden beams of the ship starting to crack and creak and threaten, threatening to come apart. It is literally, the ship is literally getting ready to burst at the seams. What I want for us to notice is the response of the sailors to the storm that God has caused to stir all around them and the progression that follows. Read with me from verse 5. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. These sailors were afraid. The storm that had come up against them must have been bad, because these seasoned mariners, who were expert at taking this journey from Joppa to Tarshish, start to cry out for relief, for relief from their pagan gods and begin throwing their precious cargo overboard. In response to God hurling this wind down, they try and hurl their cargo into the sea. The sailors either begin making a sacrifice to their gods of the sea by pitching their goods over the side, or they were just following through on what was good nautical sense. The lighter the boat, the easier to float. Either way, it isn't working. Their false gods are silent in their time of greatest need. After they awake Jonah from his sleep and find out that it is because of him that this tempest is raging, they question him. Why has this disaster come upon us? What is your job? Where are you from? And what is your nationality? You know, the, the normal questions that you would ask in the midst of the greatest shipping crisis you've ever faced, right? Anyway, upon Jonah's answers, they learn that it is the Hebrew God in which he worships. This only causes their fear to grow. 
Look at verse 10. Then the, then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Jonah, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. The sailors were no longer just afraid. They were terrified. Not because they knew the one true God yet. It was more likely that these men grew in their fear because they knew that Jonah was running away from his God and that his God was now responding to his running. Because it was Jonah's God that was causing the storm around them, they turned to him to see what they should do to calm the waves around them. The response that they get knocks them back on their already shaky deck. In verse 12, Jonah said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Jonah is basically telling these mariners, you guys have been throwing the wrong thing over the side of the ship the entire time. In fact, you only needed to throw one thing out to calm this storm, me. God hurled the great wind. The sailors hurled their cargo. Jonah tells them to hurl him into the sea and everything would be all right for them. The text tells us that the storm continues to grow in strength and in power to the point that the ship must have been getting ready to splinter into a million pieces because finally these sailors relent and decide that they will follow Jonah's advice. And in complete surrender, the sailors turn from praying to their pagan gods to calling out to Jonah's God, Yahweh. And with a bit of irony, we see that it is the pagan sailors, not the prophet of God, of heaven, who is, are worried about people perishing. It is after this prayer that they pick Jonah up and hurl him into the sea, and instantly the sea becomes calm. And it is here, after the storm is no longer raging, that the sailors turn from fearing the wind and the waves to fearing the God who controls them. Start, starting in verse 15, And the sea ceased from its raging. The men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. These sailors who at the beginning of this episode had fear because of the storm and feared the wrong gods, who then grew in fear once they learned that one among them, Jonah, was running away from his God, now having seen the power of Jonah's God, no longer fear what is going on around them, but they respond to the Lord fearfully with a reverent worship. And they don't just fear him, they offer a sacrifice and make vows. This is a natural and a scriptural response for someone who fears the Lord. We see these responses in Psalm 22, 5, Psalm 65, 5, and in Psalm 76, 11, which says, make your vows to the Lord, your God, and perform them. Let all around him bring gifts to him who is to be feared. What is our natural response when we fear the Lord rightly? One of the first things that comes to my mind is that when we 
rightly and reverently worship God, we repent. We repent of our sin. John Calvin writes in his Institutes, repentance comes from a proper fear of God. For before the sinner's conscience is brought to repentance, it must first be moved by the thought of God's judgment. The sailors were looking God's judgment on Jonah in the face. And what did it bring about? Repentance. A turning from their old pagan gods and worship and the beginning of the worship of the one true God. And there are many of us in this room who know people who have learned of God's coming judgment and he has used that to turn their hearts toward him. Maybe that's even some of you in this room. Another response to the fear of the Lord is worship. This is what the sailors do. And this is what we see takes place elsewhere in Scripture. In Revelation 14, 7, the Apostle John writes what the angel proclaims, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Here at Veritas, we like to say and truly believe that all of life is worship. Worship isn't just coming here on Sunday mornings. Neither is worship gathering together during the week in our city groups. Don't get me wrong, both of those things are acts of worship, but they shouldn't be the only thing that we consider worship in our day-to-day and week-to-week. In fact, we take to heart what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's right. Whatever we do, we are to do to God's glory. And that means worshiping him in every area of our life. Whether it's in our homes and family worship, or going to our jobs and completing our daily task as if we are working for the Lord himself, or doing something so simple and so mundane as eating and drinking, we are doing them to the glory and worship of God, responding to him reverently in worship because of who he is and because of what he has done on our behalf we see that there is a clear change in the object of the sailors, of the fear of the sailors. Let's now turn to Jonah, who claims to fear the same God in which the sailors end up worshiping. But for some reason, Jonah's fear rings hollow. Let's look now at at the hollow fear of Jonah. It is hard to read this particular passage and at the end end of it come to the conclusion that Jonah, who is a prophet of the Most High God, has a proper fear of him. It is hard to believe Jonah when in verse 9 he says, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Those words ring empty. They sound hollow. He says the correct thing about God and even has right doctrine about him. But Jonah's life is far from backing up his words. Jonah is on this ship, fleeing from the presence of the Lord, and yet he is still claiming to fear the God of Israel. 
this response doesn't reflect his present circumstances. Look at me with verses 5 and 6. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give, us a, thought, give a thought to us that we may not perish. Jonah continues his journey and goes into the depths of the boat to get some sleep. Apparently, running away from God must have been extremely tiring because he says that he was fast asleep. Or in other words, Jonah was sleeping so heavily and so soundly that he was snoring. And all the while outside is raging a crazy storm the like that his seafaring compatriots had never seen before. He is then awakened by the ship's captain, captain, whose words in awakening Jonah would certainly bring back to mind the commission that the Lord had given to him in verse 2. The Lord's words to Jonah, Arise, go to Nineveh. And then contrast that to the captain's words in verse 6. Arise, Call out to your God. It's here that we see another irony. For it is a pagan sea captain that is waking up the Jewish prophet, calling him to pray. Yet it is in verses 9 and 10 where we see the greatest of ironies of all in this passage. When Jonah claims that he fears the one true God, the one who created the land that the voyagers had set off from earlier in their journey, and commanded the sea in which they were currently sailing through, that at the same time he was trying to go as far away from the call that God had given him as he possibly could. But I want you to stop and think before you judge Jonah too quickly. Has there ever been a time in your life when you ran the other way, when you knew there was something specific you were supposed to be doing? In my early 20s, I knew that my life was hollow when it came to worshiping God and living a life worthy of the gospel. Sarah and I went to church, but really only to say that we went. My private worship worship was nothing. I was filling my time and my heart and my mind with other things so that I could squeeze God out as much as I could. But I knew that God, through his word, had called me to something more, called me to live a life more sanctified. I never did anything outwardly that would have caused anyone alarm, but my heart was far from fearing the Lord. And maybe that's you this morning. You know the promises and the commands of God, but you are running away from them. Maybe maybe there are some of you who, like me, are doing this inwardly. And maybe there are others of you who are doing this much more like Jonah, and your running away is very public, out there for everyone to see. If either of those cases describe you, ask yourself, do I see something of Jonah mirroring back at me? Look at your life and see what it is that is causing you to run from God's word, causing you to flee his presence. 
the hollow fear of Jonah is something that we all need addressed in our lives. And if you hear these words and think, he's speaking to me right now, I want you to really listen to this final point. I want you to think back on all the times in your life when you have experienced the sovereign mercy of God. You may have already noticed that this passage is really more about God and the pagan sailors than Jonah. Sure, he comes in and out of the story and even plays a significant role, but as you read it repeatedly and start to grasp the story, you really start to notice that it's about God and his plan to save the sailors, both from the storm and from their pagan worship. Who was it that caused the great wind to stir up the sea? God. Who was it who caused the lots that were cast in verse 7 to fall on Jonah? God. Who was it that Jonah said created the land and the sea? God. Who is, who is it who the sailors recognize that does as he pleases? God. And who is it who appoints, prepares, and destines the great fish to come and swallow Jonah, saving him from certain death? God. There is one person who is sovereign over all of what is taking place in this passage. And for the rest of the book of Jonah, and frankly for that matter, the rest of the Bible. And that is Jonah's God. He calls out the wind, causes the lot to come up Jonah, created the land that left the that, that they left and the water that they were battling through. He calms the waves and chose the great fish to come and swallow up Jonah. I guess what I'm trying to say here and get at here is that Creator God is in control of all things. There's not one thing that happens outside of His will and that doesn't go according to His plan. In fact, we read carefully, we see that God's plan of salvation for the Gentiles, is on full display here. In verse 2, God calls Jonah to go to the city of Nineveh to preach a message of repentance. Not wanting the wicked people of Nineveh, uh, not wanting the wicked people of Nineveh, people who are not a part of the nation of Israel, people who are not a part of God's covenant people, to receive any kind of deliverance from their evil ways, Jonah runs the opposite way. He just happens to board a ship that is crewed by men who aren't a part of, part of God's covenant plan either. And as we've already read, God brings salvation to them. Here is Jonah thinking that he's going to get away with seeing salvation come to those outside the people of God. And what is really happening is that God is just adding a few more to the number that will be saved once he gets to Nineveh. This not only displays God's great sovereignty and control of the story, it displays God's great mercy. We see this with the mariners where God didn't have to save them from the storm or didn't have to save them um, from their fear of these false gods. But he did what he pleased to these men and it pleased him to save them by having Jonah, throwing Jonah off the ship. But that was also a mercy to Jonah, wasn't it? It seems as if Jonah had resigned himself to death, realizing the mighty of 
mighty eye of God can never be outrun. Look at verse 12. Jonah said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. What Jonah is essentially saying is sacrifice myself, my life, for yours. I'm the one who brought this trouble on you, so I should be the one to die. So the sailors, after a brief hesitation, oddly they try to continue to row when the solution has been given. They pick Jonah up and toss him over. They knew it would mean death for Jonah, and he had resigned himself to that same fate. But God showed his mercy towards Jonah by sending him a fish that was big enough to swallow a human whole. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. God wasn't done using Jonah yet. Despite Jonah's fleeing his presence, he still showed mercy on him. Even though Jonah's fear was flat before the mariners, God was still faithful to carrying out his plans. God's sovereignty and mercy came together for Jonah in the presence of a fish. And God's sovereignty and mercy we, uh, is always affecting our lives, whether we recognize it or not. We usually don't see it until we've come out on the other side of whatever storm that we're going through. Sarah and I have tangibly experienced God's sovereignty and mercy over the past two and a half years of our lives. The greatest of those being an accident that happened to our second daughter, Lydia. Lydia is usually one of the crazies that are running around um, causing trouble, and we love her for it. But a year ago, the Thursday before Labor Day, Lydia, who was at the time, or two at the time, fell off the top bunk in the girls' room. Sarah immediately knew something had happened because of the way that Lydia was holding her head. She had no clue to the extent of what damage had been done. We gave her a day to see if her neck felt any better, if she gained any free movement of her head, but she did not. She kept her little head tucked to one side and wouldn't move it at all. So we ended up taking her to the doctor's and to keep a long story short, we ended up at Dayton Children's to correct what at the time we thought was just a dislocated neck. While we waited up most of the night to be able to have a CT scan performed, she was put in a device that was supposed to help correct the dislocation. Now putting a two-year-old in this type of device and for her not to be able to understand anything that's going on, not understanding that what the doctors and the nurses were doing were trying to do what was best for her was one of the most difficult things that either Sarah or I has ever endured. In fact, at one point after very, getting very little sleep, I broke down and I started to weep. I told Sarah I didn't have the strength to continue to watch Lydia in the state that she was in. It wasn't until that we saw the results of the CT scan that we realized the mercy that God, that it was that Lydia's neck was dislocated. The scan showed that Lydia had two fractures on her C2 vertebrae. One was a few millimeters away from 
an artery that runs the length of the spinal cord. And the other was a few millimeters from pressing in to the cord itself. God had used Lydia's dislocated neck to not allow her movement to protect her neck from being damaged more by the fractures that were there as well. He used that dislocation as a mercy in saving our, Lydia, our Lydia's life from a fate much worse than six weeks in a cast. Why do I share this story with you? I use it as an example that it might not be until you get through the storm that you are able to see God's hand guiding along the way. It may not be until all is said and done that you are able to look and see God's mercy pouring out on your life. The sovereign mercy of God is something that we have all experienced, whether we recognize it or not. As we close this morning, my prayer has been this entire week and it is this morning as well that you will walk out of this room with a proper reverence for a God who controls the wind and the waves, the land and the sea, the heavens and the earth. He not only deserves our worship because he is the creator and sustainer of all things, but he deserves our worship because of, his, of the mercy that he has shown towards us in his son, Jesus Christ. Like the prophet Jonah, Jesus was sent by God on a mission to save a sinful people. Like Jonah, Jesus sacrificed himself in order to save a people from certain death. Like Jonah, Jesus spent three days in the belly of the tomb. And like Jonah, Jesus was delivered from death on the third day. But more than Jonah, Christ's resurrection gained victory over sin and death. It provided a way to full, certain, and persevering salvation that Nothing or no one can break. If you are hearing this, knowing that you have never before placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, or you have been coming to Veritas or going to another church for any amount of time, knowing that you have gone only to satisfy your parents, to check some imaginary religion box, or to try and fool yourself into thinking that maybe there is some sort of back door into heaven other than surrendering your life to Jesus. Let these words be dreadful, yet comforting to you. Dreadful because of who God is. He is holy. He cannot be in the presence of sin. Death will come, and you will be tossed over the side of the ship and into the waves of eternity without any hope of deliverance. You won't be able to row back to land. You won't be able to swim back to the, to the boat. There won't be a great fish there to catch you. You will die and you will be eternally separated from the God who offers mercy here and now. And he offers it to you in Jesus, his son. Won't you take him? Hear these words and repent. Turn from the death-causing sins that control you and turn to the life-giving Christ. Christian, please don't hear this and respond like Jonah did, knowing who God is and what he has done for you, responding with a right confession, yet with hollow actions. Instead, respond like the sailors did, breaking out in an awe-filled fear of the one true God. 
respond with action. Sacrifice everything you have for him. Let your words resound with an unending praise. You have been saved from the worst storms and an eternity without God. And that is good news. Doesn't he deserve your life? Surely he deserves our reverent worship. Let's pray. Lord, may we not walk out of here this morning in any way unchanged. If there is someone here this morning who falls into the first category, it's someone who's never submitted their life to your son, Jesus. I ask that salvation would come to this room right now, that you would cause a heart to repent and believe in the gospel this morning. And that there are others who, who have already responded in repentance to the news that Jesus has come and died and rose again. Yet, there are lives in here that are, are far from fearing you properly. We look far more like Jonah than like the sailors who worship you rightly. But I pray that you would allow these words of Jonah 1 to work. Allow your words to do their work. I pray that they don't return empty. Lord, may we be a people at Veritas who seek to be people who are driven by the sovereign mercy of their King. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.